Hey, Devils fans, On the Line is a weekly auction series featuring unique Prudential Center and Devils items. Proceeds from the On the Line weekly auction series will benefit the Devils Care Foundation to help support its goal of providing life-changing opportunities for young people who live and play in New Jersey's most challenged neighborhoods. With a focus on community outreach, food assistance, and educational development. To bid on this week's item, visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash on the line. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to another edition of Speak of the Devils. I'm joined by my podcast partner, Amanda Stein. Amanda, good to be back with you again. I hope all is well. All is very well here. Thanks, Maddie. Always. I love that we get, you know, our weekly chat. Or we yes. Get see each other on a video conference and catch up a little bit. I'm, you know, we're, I've been in Montreal now over five months. I really do like, I miss the camaraderie of what our NHL season is. Yep. Uh, I'm a people person as you are. And I do miss the interaction with everyone in the office, uh, the players, the coaching staff, training staff other members of the media. And that's the focus of this edition of Speak of the Devils. We're going to do a media schedule or a media interview with some local guys that everyone knows, Steve Cangelosi and Ken Danico. And then we're going to go out west and spend some time with Louis DeBrusque, does a great job on Canadian national TV. But I want to ask you, you've been in this business a long time, as I have. I never take it for granted, but do you ever forget how lucky we are because it's, it's, it's what we do, you know, and there are fans like, wow, you get to talk to Jack Hughes. Yeah. Wow, you were in Vancouver. You were on a Western trip. Wow. You did this. You see that, you know, sometimes I forget just how privileged we are only because we've been doing it for so long. I don't at all uh, take it for granted, but you know, sometimes. You do. And I think it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. You're just reminded of all the really fun things that we are afforded when it comes to, you know, working for and with a professional team and all those, you know, I mean, they are perks, they're perks of the job. And, you know, people ask me like, oh, well, what are you doing now that, you know, the team isn't playing or the NHL, you're not part of the return to play. And, you know, I say, well, we have our hands full. We do a lot and we're making as much content as we possibly can. But, you know, I miss it because it's not the same when you don't have that interpersonal relationship, when you're not, you know, face to face with someone. But the other thing I say is that, I don't feel like I'm not working because I never feel like I'm working because we love it so much because you can't be in this business. You can't work, you know, the hours that we do without loving it. So, you know, yes, the job is different, but you just love it in different ways until you know that it will come back. But, and, and I think, you know, when we do talk to Dano and Kanji, you'll see that there's that real relate family relationship between all of us. Then that's what I really miss. No doubt about it. So on that note, why don't we bring in our guests for the first portion of Speak of the Devils. Very familiar voices and names and faces to Devils fans everywhere as we say hello to our good friends from MSG Networks. And it is a great pleasure to welcome to Speak of the Devils podcast, Steve Cangelosi and Ken Danico. 
Everyone knows their roles uh, on the Devils landscape. Steve, the esteemed play-by-play announcer on the MSG Networks, and uh, Ken Danico, lifelong Devil player, and now doing a superb job with his analysis. Fellas, welcome to the show. Maddie. How's everybody doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. This reunion, guys. It's yeah. been too long. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for the invite. It has been too long. I'm not sure what took so long to send the invite. <laughs> I don't want to take it that personally, us being loyal listeners to the Speak of the Devil. But no, it's, it's, it's great to be with you guys, and I hope you're doing well in all of this. Unprecedented times, man. And heck, this is the first time I've seen Kanji in a long time. So yes, I, I echo his sentiments. Thank you for inviting us. And uh, good to be on with you guys for sure. Matt, so, Amanda, always a pleasure. <laughs> so, so much ground we could cover. Just want to get our listeners caught up, Kanji, and then you, Dano. You know, what have you been doing to stay busy? Your thoughts of what we've seen on this return to play? Those two issues. What have you been doing and what do you think about return to play? Uh, First of all, uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup playoffs have been front and center probably now for the last three weeks. So I think the lead up to the tournament, Matty, and the actual games has been a respite of sorts, I think, for me and for a lot of other people. Uh, I'm heavily involved with soccer, as you know. Major League Soccer started up, and I've started calling some games really for the last four weeks. And aside from that, using the time productively around the house. The wife likes the fact that I'm home. The dog (laughs) loves the fact that I'm sitting here at home every day. We get quality time and working on things personally around the home and really just spending so much time making sure that everybody who's near and dear to me is doing okay in all of this. And, uh, you know, that can be something that occupies your time, your mind on, on an almost daily basis, which for me it has. And uh, luckily, I could say almost everybody on my end is doing OK. Well, I, I guess I could kind of say the same as Kanji from the standpoint, uh, you know, you hope family, friends, everybody in your area is OK. And, and throughout uh, North America, because that's where we have family all over the place. These are unprecedented and tough times for everyone. And I'd much rather be at the arena with the fans. I know right now we wouldn't be playing hockey, but at least engaging and, and watching some games along the way. But I think the, the National Hockey League uh, has done a terrific job uh, under the circumstances of, of putting this bub- these bubbles together and, and actually pulling this off. I mean, the hockey has been terrific. I know it's uh, not... Or shall I say, it's a lot different than than we would have seen in the past with no fans and everybody loves their fans. But these players have played their hearts out. And again, I don't think a lot of us really believe they could uh, get it off the ground at one point. Unfortunately for me, I get to cover it on NHL Network. I've been doing a lot of a lot of stuff there. The studios are right in New Jersey. So that's that's kind of fortunate for me. And it just keeps you involved. Uh, we all love our game, certainly hockey and uh would have loved to seen our Devils in it. I know how close we came. If we could have beaten the Pittsburgh Penguins that last game, I think we've discussed about, discussed that before the pause. They would have been, but the Montreal Canadiens, that's what makes this great and intriguing was, you know, they were kind of a surprise team and they, they knocked out the Penguins and gave the Flyers all they could handle. So that, I think for me, that's that's been fun. Uh, playoffs are always expect the unexpected at times and there's always upsets. 
but I don't think we knew which team would find their footing, which teams wouldn't. And I think we knew early on that there could be some upsets and there was a few certainly along the way. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And now you're starting to see the cream rise to the top and a lot of the top teams putting it all together now. And it's going to be a, a great uh, finish to the Stanley Cup, I think. Hey, Maddie, let me add something very quickly, just in light of what Dano said about the job that the league has done to get us to this point, which has been extraordinary. With that said, I think this is the first time in the postseason process, really starting tonight, where the fact that the fans aren't in the house and it is the bubble atmosphere is really going to resonate for me. And that's because the Islanders-Flyers series starts on the day that we're recording this podcast. I mean, an Islanders-Flyers playoff series, it has to be at Nassau Coliseum and Wells Fargo. Oh, you know, some <laughs> forget Wells Fargo. It has to be at Nassau Coliseum. And let's reconstruct <laughs> yes. the spectrum for a night, okay? With Billy Smith and Bobby Clark wrestling in the parking lot while the game is being taken place. Uh, this is something where this is a unique circumstance where I think the fans truly would be part of impacting the series. And that's going to be absent when this series does get underway in a couple of hours. Kanji, I'm partial to Schultz, Nystrom, Gillies. That's what I would hey. want to see back in the old <laughs> days. It, it would be nasty, but I think we could expect a little nasty between these two teams as well. And both uh, well-deserved teams being there. So it should be a great matchup. You're right. And the, the players have done a great job of self-motivating, certainly. And I think the league's done a, an unbelievable job to grab as much atmosphere as they possibly can, considering you're not in your home buildings and, and there's no fans uh, there to cheer you on, which that's what it's all about for the players. But nonetheless, they brought us back some normalcy of, of getting to watch these playoffs on the compete level has been fantastic. I'm really looking to this forward to this series as well, Kanji. The Islanders really have their game going and they're finding a way to, to score some goals here too. So this should be an exciting series. And the Flyers, the hottest team going in and throughout the early going they were, then the Canadians gave them a handful. And so it's going to be interesting if they can raise their level of play against the Islanders because they're going to have to. And of course on that Islanders roster is former devil's captain, Andy Green. So to me, uh, you know, keeping an eye on that series, just because I know everyone here on this podcast loves Andy and what he's brought mm -hmm. to the New Jersey devils and to see him have that success right now in the postseason is great, but, um, and it's just great that we have hockey to talk about. It just feels like, you know, we've been through so much as a society over the last couple of months to have something like this to look forward to is really great, but take, me back to that March day when we were all getting ready to cover, I believe it was uh, the Devils versus Carolina. Yeah. And then next thing we knew, everything was shut down. So, you know, Maddie and I went through a similar thing, but from an MSG standpoint and your broadcast, how did you hear, like, what was that day like for you guys? Uh, I'll start, Dano. And uh -huh. In all honesty, I had a really ominous feeling when we walked out of the building on that Tuesday night when the Penguins were in town and uh, they played what would be the last game that would count in the standings. Because, Dano, I don't know if you remember, we had our production meeting that afternoon at 4 o'clock. Yes. 
And our, our producer role in Dratch had already started to go over scenarios with us potentially for the coming days. There was one scenario where we would get on the plane after the Carolina game or maybe the day after to start what was going to be a three-game road trip. But the feeling was we would not get on the plane, we would not mix with the players, that we would call games off the monitor from MSG all of that was in play. And for me, the cold reality that we weren't going to go to the rink, I was literally getting out of the shower on that Thursday morning of the Carolina game when the phone rang. And I had a suspicion that this would be the case when the guys who were already there told me, stay home, we'll come if, if things change, we'll tell you. But right now, it doesn't look like we're dropping a puck tonight. Yeah, it was a numb feeling for sure, Kanji and, and Maddie and Amanda, for you know, not knowing what to expect and things looked bleak for sure. And I didn't think we'd maybe have this opportunity to call the rest of the season. And it, uh, to be quite frank, it, it was brutal. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, obviously the Devils are starting to play some pretty good hockey. I know it was going to be a long shot if we were going to make the playoffs, but they were starting to to play the way uh, the fans, I think, enjoyed as well as us calling the games along the way here. And, and you saw the young guys, everybody starting to develop. And I wanted to see, regardless if they made the playoffs, I wanted to see those last 12 games or so to continue to see the growth of this team, certainly. And then when you find out after we're just hanging out for a couple of weeks, and that's when a reality set in that we're, we're not going to have the rest of the regular season. The National Hockey League went to work to even uh, save what they could and obviously uh, what we're going going through now with the playoffs and everything else and, uh, was the fact that they were so close to getting in. But uh, it was it was tough for sure. And, and I think no tougher than, uh, never mind us, the players themselves. That's all you know as a player speaking on experience. Yeah. You're ready to get on the flights, go to the hotel, get pregame meals, be with your team and get ready for a game. And the team was starting to feel a little – uh, or I say a little bit better about themselves and the way they were playing and the development of the young guys and all of a sudden everything is is stopped. But we know sports is put to the background and, and secondary compared to what's important in life and everybody's health and safety first and foremost, obviously. But but we love our sports. We love our team and we love hockey as you guys do. So it made it real difficult for everyone. Yeah, there was a real cascading effect. The NBA cancels the night before. Uh, and then word started to come down. Uh, I guess the Sharks were scheduled to play with no fans. We were going to give that a go. At least that appeared to be the case. But then that didn't work out. And uh, obviously, we find ourselves in this position. Uh, I, so much has actually changed for the Devils uh, since. Yeah. And primarily, uh, we have a general manager that was officially <laughs> named. The interim tag removed from Tom Fitzgerald. And Lindy Ruff named the head coach. So there's been news since. And Dana, you played against some of those Lindy Ruff coached Buffalo Sabres teams. Did you play against him too? I'm being serious. Oh yeah, of yeah, course. Just, I, right? Yeah, you did. Of course. I, I fought Lindy Ruff once. <laughs> did you? Really? But, but I think uh, over did you the win? years, oh, doing did you chats with you, I think most of these guys have at least fought once that played a physical role style. Like yeah, for Ruff. sure. So yes, I did early. How did you career. do? Uh, I don't want to, you know, oh, I don't, no. I don't want to gloat a little bit, but I'm pretty sure I won. I didn't lose that many, Maddie. I lost a few. I'm not going <laughs> to. They played the game hard. They competed. Mm. And we, we use that term a lot, but it was so true. And any coach that can coach a team for 15 consecutive years and have success, taking to a Stanley Cup final, 
you're doing something right. Tyler Sagan, young players have their best seasons under Lindy Ruff. So he developed those guys when the Dallas Stars as well were a pretty good team back then and making the playoffs under Lindy Ruff. I know everybody, you know, prior and the lead up to uh, the Devils deciding who their coach is going to be and all the interviews and discussions they go through. You know, if you think about it, you look at a guy like Lindy Ruff, and I'm not just saying it because he's the Devils coach now, but but he's a guy that has experience. And what does this team need right now with all that young talent is a guy that's been through it before and has that experience of being in every situation and knowing how to bring these young guys along. So I'm excited about it. I was surprised a little bit, to be honest with you, because I wasn't sure who was on the radar. Obviously, you hear the the big names, the Laviolettes and Gerard Glantz and, you know, Lindy Ruff, who was an assistant for the Rangers at the time. But uh, I know he went through the interview process and just a little birdie told me he was fantastic. And they said all the right things. And, and then the more I thought about it, that's what I was thinking about. Here's a guy that's coached a long time in this league. Perfect fit at the right time for a young team. You want a guy that has been through every situation. And I think Lindy's going to do a really good job with these young devils. Yeah. Just adding to that, Maddie, I think we're looking at the guy who oversaw Tyler Sagan's transition from good young player, just to NHL superstar. And if that in any way translates, and some people might think it's a leap years later to hopefully, from a Devils perspective, see that translates to a player like Jack Hughes elevate his game to maybe a 60 or 70 point guy in his second season, perhaps that optimistic, but at least you see a track record on Lindy Ruff's part. The only other thing I'll add, and I think Dan summed it up very well, is that people I've spoken to on the Rangers side, it's, it's something that flew under the radar in the Rangers organization, just how much of a sounding board that he was for David Quinn and others in that organization. Numerically, the Rangers were nothing special defensively. But I think the most part, when you ask about Lindy Ruff and what his contribution was to the team, respect and, 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 and an absolute effort to make everything better in all the right ways were consistently the answers coming back. I think he's going to be a different coach than he was some 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think all of us change. I think Jacques Lemaire, the second, third time around for the Devils, clearly was a different coach. Uh, and I'm interested to see how that plays out now with an older Lindy Ruff. Maybe we'll start getting our answers in a training camp in November. And, and he did say on this very podcast that he learned from David Quinn a little, the, the newer, quote unquote, way to coach, dealing with players. Uh, and it, it, you know, it did change him. And you don't, if you don't grow, then you never improve. So it's, it's good to see that he was willing to take that step back too. And just to touch one more thing and kind of add to what Kanji's talking about. I mean, if you look at the Rangers, everybody says, well, they weren't very good defensively, you know, and he's the defenseman coach, the coaching, the head coach has the final say first and foremost. And, and, And number two, the way the game is gone, you, you need to, Defense need to be part of the attack more often, need to create offensive chances. Yes, you need the horses to do that, but look at the young defenseman for the New York Rangers, Tony D'Angelo, and and um, the other Ryan young- Lindgren and Adam Fox. Adam Fox, Adam Fox. The seasons they had from an offensive perspective, well, Lindy Ruff helped develop those young defensemen uh, to understand when to pick the spots, when to jump the play. Uh, team defense is a five-man unit and a commitment. I uh, Coming from 
some of the best defensive teams ever. It was hard work, and you can learn that aspect of the game. But if he can help these young defensemen become a little more offensive and, and picking their spots and joining the attack and sustaining offense offense in the inside the offensive zone of your opponent, I think Lindy's going to do an excellent job with that. And I'm, I'm excited about it because – and he's going to be hungry. How, how hungry do you think he's been? He's been a head coach in this league a long time. He takes a step back for – for a few years here, now he's coming back with another opportunity with a good, young, talented team. And I, I think he's going to be excited about it. I love what Kanji said. I think he has adjusted along the way with the times as well. He's open-minded. You just listen to him speak, and, and he's really looking forward to this opportunity. So it's going to be exciting when we get there. Let's hope it's sooner than later. I just wanted to apologize, though, to Dan. I, I you know, you look good. You stay in good shape, my friend. But I forgot how old you are. You actually did play against Lindy Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe. In fact, I've been working out a lot, guys. So maybe Lindy Ruff invites me to training camp. I want one more kick at the can. <laughs> uh, we will definitely make sure he gets that message. <laughs> we will definitely make sure. Um, and, I, and I think what everyone kind of touched on there that I found, you know, the most interesting when talking to Lindy is he said that he's learned how to talk to younger players and how different this new generation of talent is, you know, getting to know them on a personal level. Who are they? What do they like to do away from the rink? And I guess, you know, from my experience of working with a lot of players, you know, over the last couple of years, it's that's how you build those, you know, solid relationships of trust when you get to know someone as a person. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does as well. And, you know, one of the other big things that was done just prior to that was uh, Tom Fitzgerald having the interim tag removed. We've all been around Tom for many years now. I just want to get your thoughts on, you know, what he did leading up to that moment where that interim tag removes was removed and, and kind of what you th- see as Fitzy's future here. My short answer is that nothing about it surprised me, Amanda. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually thought the coaching decision could go any number of five ways But it was never a leap for me that Tom Fitzgerald had a great chance to keep this job on a full-time basis. And I think he only fortified his candidacy for that with what he did at the trading deadline, acquiring a player like Nolan Foote. And I think maxing out what he could get for the Devils at that particular time. Well, now comes the real challenge because the buck doesn't stop with anyone other than Tom Fitzgerald. And while we always talk about the good young nucleus of this team and what's in the arsenal and how Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer are clearly the people this organization moves forward with. Now there is the process of landing very important pieces. Uh, Obviously, I think this team needs a bona fide, clear number one defenseman. I think that still is on the table. Obviously, those players don't grow on trees. And for the most part, you draft those guys, you pay them well, you sign them, you re-sign them, and they are the cornerstones of your team. Tom Fitzgerald now is entrusted, I think, with trying to find that player. And uh, those guys aren't necessarily what he should be reaching for right away. Go back, Amanda, to what I think was your first season, correct me, covering the Devils. And that was the last time this team was in the playoffs. Yeah, it was, that was uh, my first year, yeah. Okay, and, and sometimes, Dano, tell me if you agree, and Maddie too, I think we spent so much time that season talking about the obvious 
big storylines. Taylor Hall's Hart Trophy uh, season. Uh, what Keith Kincaid did to emerge as the next most important player on that team. Nico Heischer living up to the billing of a number one pick as an 18-year-old. It seemed like bam, bam, bam. We kept harping on those storylines all throughout that playoff push. But there were other nuances, I think, that maybe – we didn't pay enough attention to one of the things that comes to mind when I'm talking about defense, it never seemed like there was any, any confusion about who the devils would put on the ice to finish up games when they were protecting a lead late. You knew it was Andy green. You knew it was Ben Lovejoy coming over the boards. I think that's the group that the devils have to identify. And maybe Tom Fitzgerald Denno has to go out and acquire. I, I agree with you, Kanji, from the standpoint that uh, to just talking with Tom Fitzgerald and congratulations to him. And obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, but the moves he made, it seems he has really restocked uh, the organization with good young prospects that we can believe are going to be real good National Hockey League players, top six forwards. Uh, top four defensemen with big Kevin Ball and, and a couple of the young defensemen they signed. You know, talking to Fitzy, and we watched this game and seen it for a long time and see it evolve, all of us. And, and I played in an era where it was physical and nasty, and you still need a little bit of that, but you, you need the mobility. And, and Fitzy, though, knows the Devils need to be bigger on the back end, and that's something I've preached as well. Bigger means, yes, physicality but it also means reach and size just difficult to play against and get around and defensemen that can box out and I think that's where he's done an excellent job of adding some real good young defensive prospects and getting Kevin Ball in that trade and Amanda you can tell me the other two young defensemen we signed I have six months to figure out how to pronounce their names but I know they're big the kids in the OHL (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and, and, and yeah. two, two out of the four, two, two of three, pan out to be good National Hockey League defense. When you look at teams that are successful come playoff time and, and sustain success is teams that have bigger mobile defensemen. Yes, you want guys that are dynamic if you can find a Quinn Hughes. Certainly we hope Ty Smith can bring a little bit of that along the way in his growth and development, whatever that may be. But then after that, everybody can't be the same. And I think that's where the Devils have to alter things a little. I think Tom Fitzgerald has identified that uh, uh, to a T. Again, we have to show a little patience, in my opinion. Yes, we may be active in free agency, whatever it may be. But you always have to build within. And finally, there's a lot of hope in my eyes, and I would hope with the fans that we do have a lot of good young prospects. Let's not forget, Maddie and you, I, we've talked about this many times. Look how strong the Binghamton Devils finished, the AHL affiliate for the New Jersey Devils. I mean, what were they, 26-5 and five or something crazy in their last It was a crazy end, yeah. yeah it was That's a lot of those young prospects are going to be coming up for us. A lot of them forwards, yes, but the competition for jobs is going to be that much stronger, and that makes your entire organization better in the long run. So I, I want to get back to the, to the point that you were making, Steve, and, and well said, and everyone can hop in on it. So you knew who was going to be put over the boards by John Hines in that playoff year to wrap up a period, wrap mm-hmm. up a game. Can Damon Severson play that role finally? Has he gotten to the point where you think it is 
it really has come together. The maturity, the experience, uh, the reliability, his comfort level, et cetera. Can he be that guy? So I think that in some ways we're talking about the same thing. And in some ways, we're talking about something a little bit different. Because if you look at the great Chicago Blackhawks teams, right? Duncan Keith was, Duncan Keith's going to the Hall of Fame. Brent Seabrook has had a hell of a career. But in those situations where Joel Quenville wanted to lock down those games, Nicholas Jalmerson was the guy he put on in those situations. Damon Severson, I think, has made a leap, a giant leap in this last season. And I don't know how many times Kenny and I talked about this on the air. What's the barometer when you're really great a defenseman, where you really know what you're finally getting? Is it 300 games? Is it 400 games? You know, in the case of a Quinn Hughes, obviously, it's something a lot less. But Damon now has reached that 400-game threshold where finally I thought there was a breakthrough. I thought the best defenseman that the Devils had on the ice in this past year was Sammy Votnin in first half of the season. But the whole darn thing, it turned out to be Damon Severson. I think he is on the cusp of being a guy you clearly identify as top pair. I don't think he's there yet. I think he made a major stride towards that. I'm inclined to answer your question, yes. That the progress made in the last 80 games is something where I move him towards that definition of what he can be rather than something less than that. But there's a little bit more when you're talking about the lofty standards that I think that this team wants to reach someday. Okay? And just to, just to follow up on that, Kenji, I think he makes some excellent points. And, and Maddie, speaking of Damon Severson, we've talked about him a lot over the years and kind of wanting more. Yeah, and that's why I ask that, it. Is now the time? Yeah. He's got that great, powerful stride. He wants he at times defensemen get caught in between, and this is all my opinion. But with a lot of young defensemen, they get caught in between wanting to be that offensive defenseman, forgetting about their defensive responsibility and cutting corners, and and maybe being a liability at times. And Damon has gone through those stretches over his uh, tenure here with the Devils and his career of. You know, being inconsistent, basically. It's up to Damon Severson now because he's got the capabilities to be that all-around solid in his own zone because he's strong on the puck. He's His lower half, he's one of the few Devils defensemen that doesn't get knocked off the puck too easily because he's strong. He's a strong guy in the puck, but it's his commitment and consistency on a nightly basis that has to continue to improve. I think we saw that along the way. And, and Kanji, I see him pointing to his head. And I, how, I, I guess. You know, how much of it is up here, right? Amanda referenced Andy Green a couple of minutes ago, right? Look what happened to him to start this postseason. He is a healthy scratch for game yeah. one against the Florida Panthers. He comes back cool as a cucumber, and he looks like the Andy Green who's equipped to play 25 minutes every yeah. night on a moment's notice. And I think that's kind of a mindset that a Damon Severson and anybody who wants to be the best they can be needs to adopt. If you make a mistake and they're going to come, and if you have a bad game, you have a bad experience, put it behind you. He's got mm -hmm. the talent to put it behind him. I hope that's in him moving forward. I think every Devils fan does. No, I, I agree. And one thing is when I when I was saying about balancing out that offensive ability, because he has plenty of it with a good shot, and understanding that, and we preach this on the air, Kanji and I, over the years with Damon Severson, that when he has his best defensive games, it's no coincidence 
when he's strong in his hand and making good outlet passes, that he has four or five grade-A chances in the offensive zone or creates an opportunity to score when he takes care of his own zone. When you're fighting it and trying too hard to be offense, just offensive, sometimes uh, everything goes awry. And I think Damon's starting to figure that out. And like I said, it's up to him, but he has to continue to understand he can be that good, solid two-way defenseman. The points will come. The offense will come. You know, one of the players, obviously, that we talked a whole lot about this year was Jack Hughes. And, you know, we've all been around him for excuse me, for the last year. And, you know, he's a smaller guy. He really does look like that 18-year-old that he is. Um, But I was wondering what you guys think about how long this layoff will be, how much time he'll have to really gain that extra strength without being in the competitive nature of playing NHL games. And could this be a blessing in disguise for someone like Jack who is on the smaller size and hasn't quite moved into what their body will be as an NHL player because, you know, at this point, the season will, you know, is expected to start training camp in November. That's a long layoff. And for someone his age, a lot can change, can it not? Absolutely. And I I remember what John Hines said when he was coaching the team about Will Butcher making that transition from, in Butcher's case, obviously it was college to the pros, not the route that Jack Hughes has taken. But I remember talking to him about that first summer that Butcher would have as an NHL player. And he said, yeah, now he's going to get the chance and know what it's like to train like a pro because he didn't have that. He didn't have it at the University of Denver. Then he wins the Hobie Baker Award. He's on the banquet circuit and he's everybody's favorite. And he goes from here to there. And then all of a sudden, and it's time to start his NHL career. He's in his first training camp. Amanda, I think this is something that Dano harped on when we did our show on MSG a couple of weeks ago. You feel this is a big deal, number three, don't you? I absolutely do. And Amanda, once we knew there was a pause and then definitely the National Hockey League was not going to be able to finish the regular season, first thing came to my mind, this is going to be a blessing in disguise, not only for Jack Hughes, for a couple of young players that will never get this opportunity mm-hmm. to specifically train on need uh, at for such a long period of time. So Jack Hughes now has eight months, basically, if we go back to the middle of March when the season was uh, um, halted, that he has that chance to to become bigger, stronger, work on certain areas. Now, we know he's a kid. He's naturally going to grow into his body. And he was a young 18-year-old. Let's not forget that. I love Jack Hughes' attitude. You could tell he doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get down on himself when the points weren't coming right away when you're number one overall pick. That is a lot of pressure on a young man, and he handled that uh, with spades throughout the season, I thought. He knows if he gets a little bigger, a little stronger – grows into his body a little bit once it clicks I, I don't think he he believes because he's a confident young man nothing's going to stop and so this time away from the game right now for a lot of players is so imperative to work on and I'm sure the devil's um, training staff and everybody has and general manager Tom Fitzgerald have set some sort of schedule on what he needs to be doing and obviously these guys know with the technology and all the personal trainers they have but I think it's going to be fantastic for Jack Hughes and once he comes back we will see uh, a different young man for sure from from a maturity standpoint physically. 
Dano, you mentioned that, you know, this is going to be a benefit not only to Jack, you said a couple of other young players. Do you just want to, you know, give a brief, you know, who, who those players are and what you're hoping that they're doing? Well, you look at guys like uh, Jesper Bolquist as well. I mean, we saw flashes. No, he didn't produce a whole lot of offense and he was up and down, but he went back down to Binghamton and he really excelled and played extremely well. So here's a guy, yes, if he puts on, you know, he's already a big frame and strong in his skates, but if he puts a little beef on that body and with his skill sets and the way he thinks the game, now all of a sudden he goes from a guy just trying to make the team of possibly being a 40, 50 point winger for your New Jersey Devils. I believe a guy like Bolquist can really attain that type or that level as, and he gets this time to really work on things he needs to work on because these guys are all so young. We forget that sometimes coming in the league. I know when I came in at 19 and the game was different and I came in what I thought was looking like the incredible heart because that's all we did is train (laughs) because it was a different mindset and we had to play that physical robust style. Now it's about speed and finesse. But yes, it's just having that hockey strength and that's what these guys are able to work so hard on. There's a few other guys. Jesper Bratt, another one. I mean, we saw great growth from Jesper Bratt, right? He's a guy that one of the more dynamic players for the Devils and the guy that can uh, electrify you when he has the puck on his stick and just his edge work. But, you know, he's a small guy. He's strong on the puck. But imagine now with an eight-month layoff here, uh, some of the uh, things he can work on along the way to, to make his body stronger and even better uh, in the upcoming season. Does it help or hurt Mackenzie Blackwood? Well, he doesn't want to get any bigger, I don't think. He's a beast already, right, Matty? We need we need him agile in the net, correct? Yeah, but I don't mean in terms of bulking up because he's got a I, linebacker's I body, tight end's body, but in terms of the layoff. You know, what? We goalies mystify all of us, right? We, You know, most of the people we talk to, like yourself, Dano, or Bryce Salvador, who's on your broadcast team, were skaters. Yeah, you can talk to Marty Brodeur here and there, but goalies just are a, 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 a group unto their own. So I'm just wondering what you guys think about whether or not this amount of time off is good or bad or in between. Kenji, you handle that one for me. <laughs> it's a terrific question, and I have no idea, Maddie. I mean, if you yeah. want me to speak, you want me to speak honestly. I think probably everybody in that situation would potentially react differently to it. Uh, this is a tremendous layoff. Uh, we're talking about eight and a half months without competitive game. I'm sure there are mechanisms in place to keep him as active and as sharp as he can possibly be. But I think everyone would enjoy the work. Everyone would enjoy the routine. And for seven teams in particular, that work and routine has been taken away for an extraordinary amount of time. I don't know how this will affect McKenzie. I don't know how it will affect a lot of the players who come back from a very long layoff. We're hearing some things potentially about ways to get the teams, the seven who were not invited to the postseason party, perhaps to have something before the traditional training camp, although I think as time goes on, we're less and less likely to experience that. The one thing I've learned is that the situation is so fluid. What you think is going to happen today doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be in place tomorrow. Absolutely. It's a great question. And I can only say this, after everything he did to, I think, establish himself as a guy who has a future as a number one goalie in the National Hockey League, It would be awful if something as simple as eight months away from the game was able 
to disrupt the progress that he's made. My suspicion is, knowing McKenzie, he doesn't take anything home with him. He doesn't let a lot bother him. I think whatever's in the tank, he's going to be able to let it out as soon as a meaningful opportunity comes. I, I agree with you. And I also think that these players have so much help available to them, whether it's the team providing it to the degree that it can uh, when we're away from each other, but their own private coaches and workouts and their ability to get to places to work on parts of their game. So I have no doubt that Blackwood's putting this time to good use. Um, and I, I talked to McKenzie I, just a couple of weeks ago, and I pretty much asked him the same thing. Like, how are you staying engaged? Like, it must be so hard as a goaltender when you're constantly relying on your reflexes and not to be using those on a regular basis. And because he's from Thunder Bay and he's been up there the whole time, he's got a really good group of, you know, uh, hockey players that have come out of Thunder Bay that are there skating. So, you know, he said, don't worry about me. Um, there's lots of competition for me to, you know, get out on the ice and play again. So, and I think, you know, we saw a maturity in his game developmentally where he's really taking his role, you know, far more seriously than we ever have. And that, you know, is attributed to how he's playing on the ice as well. And I'll add one thing to that. The difference in Mackenzie Blackwood's persona just before this season began contrasted with what it was a year earlier to that. I remember the first sit down I did with him in that training camp two days ago. There was an arrogance about him. He had the answers before the questions were out of my mouth. <laughs> he transformed himself into somebody who was a different person at the start of this year. And perhaps part of that process was him being humbled a little bit, him knowing he had so much more in him to show, and this was the opportunity for him to do it this year. He was a different person. He was a mature person. He grew up in a very short amount of time, at least from what I saw. And I think that went a long way into translating into good hockey for him. And I think for any young player, in particular goaltenders, and we know they're isolated on their own and they're the difference of you winning or losing hockey games, no matter how, how good your team plays, we know the importance of a goaltender. And Mackenzie, alluding to what you guys are saying, has grown mentally yeah. by leaps and bounds. And just his athleticism alone for a goaltender as big as he is, and he's so athletic. But I, I echo Steve's sentiments as well about him being humbled a little. And it's okay to – you want confidence. You want your goaltender to believe himself. But first and foremost is you have to – do I belong? Okay, now I belong. Well, now I played enough time and had enough success that, damn right, I can be that guy. I can be that number one goaltender. And uh, from what he's shown us, still a short sample size, but but a lot more, especially this season. And with the team, the ups and downs and struggles and not scoring a whole lot of goals at times, boy, look at his numbers. They're pretty impressive, aren't they? And I don't see anything that tells me different that he's not going to continue to improve and develop into to an elite goaltender in the in the National Hockey League. And certainly that bodes well for this Devils organization. Well, well, you need goaltending. And the thing that frustrates me at times when I hear head coaches discuss that position, for some reason, it has developed that they don't really need to know much about it for some reason. <laughs> Stop the puck. You should have stopped that one. We got to get better goaltending. Those are the things that you often hear. Yep. They're so critical. Why aren't the head coaches more involved in what the goaltenders 
do. I understand you want to have someone work with a goaltender who's understood the position, played the position. So that's fine. It's like a major league manager having a pitching coach. Okay. But I, I've never heard a major league manager go, I don't know, just throw strikes. <laughs> <laughs> right? But in hockey, it's like, just stop the puck. Well, you know, I don't know. Come on now. Let's. And you know what, Maddie? I, I don't think the Devils staff ever had the time to really give McKenzie the tender loving care that they planned to earlier this season, because when it went bad for Corey Schneider early, uh, Roly Melanson, who I think did a, a tremendous job this mm-hmm. past season with this group, you know, he shared with me, uh, it's not supposed to be this way. We had maybe mapped out 30 starts for him over the course of the year. There were nights I even talked to the guys, hey, let's make McKenzie a healthy scratch. Let's make him watch from the press box so I can sit with him side by side while a game is going on. And then suddenly two weeks into the season, everything goes kablooey and your best laid plans go completely by the wayside. How he reacted to that, I think unto itself, is very admirable. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what Lindy Ruff's uh, uh, approach is along the lines of what you're saying. It'll be fun. No question about it. We've taken an awful lot of your time. We'll have just a few more questions here. And I know our fans have uh, enjoyed it. Dano, we are going to be speaking shortly with Louis DeBrusque, who is going to give us his (laughs) bubble point of view as he's been in Edmonton Mm -hmm. doing a lot of games on Canadian national TV. I fought him a couple of times as there well. There you go. I knew I had to just set it up a little bit. Tell us up. about it, big guy. Twice in one game when he was an Edmonton Oiler. I mean, I, all these fond memories. I know we shouldn't be talking about the fighting aspect anymore because I love the way the game's gone, the skill, the finesse. But it was a lot of fun back then. It was a different time. And Louie's a great character, so that's pretty funny. Yeah, Louie and I tangled a couple of times in the same game. <laughs> <laughs> that's rare, isn't it? That's, that is rare. Well, I think I did pretty good the first one. And he was one big, tough tough guy. And he barreled after me the second time. And I think he got the better of me the second time around. But I had to answer the bell again because he, he was this young kid frothing at the mouth. And <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> what Was it in Edmonton? Did no, he this realize? one was in Jersey. It, it was, was in joking. Jersey, yeah. Because <laughs> I was wondering if he knew that you had family in Edmonton. Like, you know, do you, do you realize you're going after a man who's playing in front of family? And uh, he never went easy to begin with, but he had Edmonton. Family and friends would have loved that. They prefer, would have preferred it to be in Edmonton, but now it was in Jersey. Yeah. Now, and I've been reminded by our producer, Blaine Sayers, uh, because he's done some research on it. Did Tommy Albaline play a role in that somehow? Did... Abby maybe, oh, I don't know, hit somebody wrong or stick somebody wrong. And <laughs> you, you, I, I, you had a cut. You you were the man who had to step in after they they came after him. It's all a blur to me now, Maddie. I mean, that's a long, long time ago. However, that's a possibility along the way. As we say, dance with the one that brung you. Everybody had a role, and I would have to step in whether I wanted to or not. Every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now nah, Louis a good a good man, and and certainly uh, how proud can he be watching his son uh, Jake DeBrusque do a terrific job and uh, have an opportunity again and go for a Stanley Cup? Uh, I can't imagine being as a parent how proud he is. Let alone you're, you're proud of your own career, but you, your your kids are your everything. And you know when you saw Louis DeBrusque at the one time, I know we're maybe going. Uh, sideways here a little bit, but I, I I just remember that moment with him watching 
Jake DeBruska's son's first game and crying in the stands. Here's this big, tough guy, one of the tougher guys in the National Hockey League during his tenure. And just watching his son play, I can't imagine how special that was. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like you, Matt said, we, you've been so generous with your time, even though sometimes it feels like that's all we have. These that's days. all we have. Hey, exactly. But I mean, just like seeing everyone on our, you know, video conference call to record this makes me miss everyone so much. Dano, I even miss the smell of your cigars filling up the media <laughs> bus. Okay. Well, we... We did do the 2003 reunion with, with a lot of our uh, our great teammates, and, yep. and and I did have a cigar. I was outside. <laughs> Denver goes, his wife allows him to smoke in the house, and I, I'm going, no, 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 she does not. Yes, I enjoy the occasional cigar. That's the least of my evils. <laughs> Anything positive have co- has come of this pandemic? He has to be six feet away from me when we do our next scene set or as a last panel between us. So... Well, you know, <laughs> I digress, but you were going to ask something, you know, you can't get away with not asking me the question at the end here. We have nothing but time. I have love and love being on with you guys and seeing, seeing some familiar faces. Fans don't really get the fact that, uh, there's a lot of joking on our little mini bus that yep. going to and from airports and hotels and everybody, you know, busting each other's chops along the way. So I miss all that banter just like like we had in the locker room as as a player as well we we have the same thing yeah that's no question I, yeah that, I, I hope that we're able to get I'm sorry Steve no that's what gets us thinking when do we experience that again yeah. I mean exactly we're gonna be back but how are we gonna be back uh, are we gonna be at the arena itself and uh uh, are we calling games off a monitor, Manny? We don't know. We don't know what December is gonna bring January but uh, time will tell I just hope we all do the right thing. One yeah, last I, thing I for Amanda, Maddie. You must miss my singing. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so boy. for those who don't have Maddie's oh, going, oh boy. So oh, boy. for those who, I mean, haven't had the pleasure of being on our media bus, let me explain. Dano generally sits behind me, one or two seats behind <laughs> me, and has a tendency to, on every trip, pick one song. One song and only two lines from that one song. Oh, yes. And sing them over and over and over and over again. And then it gets stuck in my head. And then that's all I can sing the rest of the way. And then it's funny you bring that up because I haven't thought about that since March 12th. Oh, you have no song stuck in yet. I'm a man of repetition, but and I don't sing very well. We all know that. I have one tune, one tone, baritone, but uh, but that's the kind of fun we have. It's true, and I I miss that. I really miss that camaraderie because you know we are a little family. You know, of the traveling media and sitting on our own little bus, and and even just seeing everyone here now, it like makes me very nostalgic for you know the. What we had, I mean, for me, that's the closest I'll ever be to being an NHL player and living that experience. So, and Kanji, and Kanji, Maddie, don't forget, we also have all the answers when they go through a tough stretch, don't we? <laughs> uh, on that yes, bus, we do. on that bus, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> it, Is it, that it, what it, you guys miss most? Just sort of being away from the game, other than the game itself. Oh, uh, there's so much, Amanda. I, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, some people think preparation and chart work is tedious. 
it's <laughs> it's it, it's wonderful. We we love tackling that. Yeah, and you know, and all of that leads up to you know the light going on at seven o'clock, and boom, you're on, and bam. And that's the wonderful thing. You don't know what the next two and a half hours are, are, are going to bring. It's, it, it, it's a clean slate. And then talking about it on the plane or on the bus or the next morning, as I see you guys at Starbucks, and uh, mm-hmm. there are always uh, 10 different soap operas that every game delivers. <laughs> we're all there to figure it all out. So, yeah, that's a big part of it. And we're going to and- do that again. We're going to get and it. with all sincerity, Kanji and I, I, I will speak for him as well. We get to sit right in the crowd at Prudential Center and yeah. engage with the fans before the game, in between, between periods, after the game. And I love that. We love that. We get take pictures. We shake hands. That's not tedious. That's our life. We love it. Our fans are, are, are what it's all about, and we appreciate them so much. And I, I miss watching the players on the ice and – and their development. I mean, just love watching the game and our team. But the fans, they're all around us, aren't they, Kanj? And you, think, you think we have the answers? Talk to them between periods. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But we really do. I mean, I, I miss shaking hands, giving a hug. I know we can't do that right now, but let's hope sooner than later we're able to do that again. And, and the fans are, in fact, able to come watch the games with us because that is – Half, half, or more than half the fun coming to a game is the preparation and seeing the fans, our regulars, come right to their seats in our area, right, Kanji, and, and mm-hmm. come say hello before the game and ask us how they're going to do tonight. And, uh, we explain they're going to win and they're going to play great. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually I, I, the, the I know response. we're wrapping up. Who are the Devils drafting, guys, with the, with their top pick? Who, who are we drafting? Uh, what, what are we thinking? Because I, I thought it was Jamie Drysdale, and now I'm saying, now nah, he's going to be off the board. I thought it was Cole Perfetti, and now I'm saying, ah, he's going to be off the board. I, I, Marco Rossi is the guy I think I want, but if so much of the nucleus of this team is not very big, the Heashers, the Brats, the Jack Hughes, do they draft the guy who's 5'9"? That's the only, that's the only thing. What do you think, Matty? Yeah, I, I think they're going to look for defense if they can, and, and I agree, Drysdale may be gone. I'm Curious about Sanderson. There's so many mixed reviews about him that maybe he's tapped out on a ceiling. He'll only be a defensive guy, but he showed some offensive ability later uh, in this year. I think some of it will depend on if if we can get these camps going for these events, like can Team USA get together, Team Canada get together. You'll see guys who have grown. We talked about that earlier about how Devils players will grow. Well, how about some of those guys that you were going to draft in June who were able to add a couple of more months of strength and workout and get bigger and faster and stronger? Uh, he he intrigues me uh, because of his size and his skating ability. So I, I I wouldn't mind seeing them go that way. You know, this is a deep draft, uh, gang, and the key to any organization. It, it, during our championship years, during the Detroit Red Wing championship years, this is a deep draft we talk about this season, maybe as talented as we've ever seen, even in the second, third, fourth rounds. you got to find those gems, those diamonds in the rough that not only are prospects but become elite players on your roster. And I think this is that kind of draft, Kanji, where even somebody overlooks somebody or the third, fourth round. So this is where the scouts – job is endless they have to do their homework and find those players that are going to play in the national hockey league and and excel and play for a long time for our organization here that are fourth or fifth rounders even we've seen it happen all 
over and over again. And usually you look at teams that are winning Stanley Cups. Where was that guy drafted? Oh, yeah, he was a third rounder. He was a second rounder. Oh, he's pretty prominent in the lineup. So mm-hmm. we know the top of the draft that everybody gets excited about the number one overalls or the number seven pick we're going to get this time around and three first rounders, in fact, depending on if we trade them. But I hope we find a gem in the third round that we're not talking about. And two years later, he's a fixture in the lineup. (laughs) For me, I'll go for a winger. I think when you look at what's down the middle for New Jersey right now, when you consider Jack and Nico and you kind of have those stables and even, you know, Travis is still there in that lineup as the veteran guy, I think developing some wingers, some bigger wingers that can help, um, you know, protect those wings of some of those you know, smaller centers, if you will. Um, so maybe, you know, one of the Swedes, Nick, uh, Alexander Holtz is an interesting one as well, but um, who knows? And you're right, Dano, just like you said, there are three picks in a very deep draft in the first round. That is really awesome job by, you know, the management group to be able to, to get all those for themselves. It gives them a lot of options as well, yeah. man. We want to get better quickly and feel that we can add a, a veteran player that's going to help the team and help the young players develop and do a package run. Who knows? There's just a lot of uh, open opportunities here with having three first-round picks. Well, Last the best- one for me, Maddie. Yeah. I, I just wanted to throw this in there. Um, is it exciting for you, particularly as broadcasters, that – the New York Rangers have Alexi Lafreniere in their grasp and what that could do for the current rivalry, the longstanding rivalry between these two teams. When you consider Nico and Jack and Capo Caco and, you know, all that, how does that, you know, how do you feel about that? Makes it more exciting. Potentially makes it a little harder, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, so true. You know, I know, I know our fans obviously uh, because that's what rivalries are about, and that's what yeah. you love—the fans banter and going back and forth—and and that's what makes a great competition rivalries. But uh, you know, thinking about it, it brings hockey a little more to the forefront. Uh, yeah. uh, that they are getting the number one overall pick. No, would I like it to be us? Of course, I would. Having said that. You you make do with what we've got because we're we're looking pretty good with three first round picks and we just have to pick the right players. It brings spotlight to the rivalries again between the Islanders, Rangers, Devils, and hockey in in the tri-state area in general. I wonder what the schedule is going to be like too, guys. If the NHL goes a little more geographic centric with this schedule, and if they mm. do, do the Devils wind up playing the Rangers seven or eight times this year? Yeah, season? exactly. How sweet would that be? That's all right, and and maybe play the defending Stanley Cup champions who call Long Island home. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an interesting metropolitan division and metropolitan area? They season. have as good an opportunity as anyone. They are playing very well right now, and it's open, up for grabs for sure. I can't tell how much that would unnerve a Devils fan. Because, <laughs> look, if it's the Rangers or Flyers, it's, it's clearly disturbing, okay? I don't know how much animosity exists between a Devils fan base and the Islanders. I mean, True. it's a rivalry, but uh, Dano, I mean, did you dislike the Islanders when you played them? I'm not sure you did. No, only when we played them in 88 and when you have to develop that rivalry, we knocked them out, But uh, and they were the number one overall seed. But having said that, I mean, I had such great respect, even though, yes, when you're on the ice, 
Uh, it's it's about battling and winning and doing it, doing what it takes on a nightly basis, no matter who you're playing. But I had such respect for the Gillies and Nystroms and Traches and Bosses and Potvins watching them when our team wasn't very good when I was a 19, 20 year old kid and saying, I want to be like them. I want to be that team when they were going through their dynasty there and winning all those Stanley Cups. And, and when Lou Lamorello came and we started to get better, we always thought we are Islanders 2.0 in their heyday because we can play the game any way you want it. So I think answering your question from a fan standpoint, no, it's kind of neutral. I think the Islander fans, if, if they're not in it and it's the Rangers, Devils, Philly, they're rooting for us too. And I think it might be the same with the Devils fans. That's just the way it is. I don't know, but that's kind of how I feel. It's funny, but that's what rivalry is about. You love, you know, you, you love the fans going back and forth and, and certain teams you dislike more because they're, you know, I don't know, they just, they get to you more or they're a big old, bigger rivalry at the time. But, yeah, it's kind of more neutral, I would say. I'd like to see all three teams have that strong rivalry and all make the playoffs one year. That would be great for hockey in this area. Well, that was my point. You would have the number one pick with the Rangers as a developing devil squad and perhaps a defending Stanley Cup champion in the Islanders, it would be great for hockey in the New York area. There's no question about that. Well, time has flown. Dano, Kanji, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to hear from you. There's so much more we could talk about, and I'm not sure whose phone that is. Dano, I have a funny feeling it's yours. <laughs> Something's ringing here. I apologize for the disruptions, guys. No problem. I Love can... you. Great being on with all you guys. A lot of fun. I wish we could keep going on. it. It's therapy for me as well. I'm sure <laughs> for the rest of you, we... We, we want to be doing something, and it's great to talk hockey with everybody no, no doubt. and our fans. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. Fellas, thanks very much for spending time with us. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Matty. So that certainly was an enormous amount of fun, and we spent a lot of time with those two guys. And, well, listen, we missed them. We haven't seen them, and so we had a lot to catch up on, didn't we? Oh, absolutely. And, I, and I'm being serious when I say that, like, you know, I even somehow miss the uh, smoke from Dano's cigar because no one quite knows what it's like to get on a minibus and know that Dano's there. And you know he's there because you can <laughs> smell him. You know what it's about. Oh, no doubt about it. I will say this. No names here at the Cafe Discreet. There are some who don't enjoy that smell as much as you no, I don't enjoy it. it. I don't enjoy <laughs> it. Appreciate? I okay. don't appreciate it. I I'm one who doesn't mind it. it. So I'm not, I'm not, I'll, I will say you can eliminate me from that group, but there are a few who are like, oh, move into another seat. I'm one of those people, but in the circumstances, yes. I do miss Ken Danico's, you know, cigar smoking ways. <laughs> the man can inhale a cigar like nobody I've ever seen. He can go through them quickly. Hey, we're going to transition here because uh, we're going to go to part two, but I want to ask you one question about media. And this maybe is going to catch you off guard. So I'll give you time to think about it if you need time and I'll give okay. you my answer. What is the oddest kind of strangest question, different kind of question you get from fans when they talk to you and ask you about what you do. Like they know that you're our content reporter. They see you all the time. Like, is there a question that you go, really? Like, well, okay. No, I, I don't need time to think about it because I think it also has to do with, uh, unfortunately, you know, being a woman in the sports business really, and I, and I hate it. I hate this question, but it's always like, oh, like, do the players change in the locker room in front of you? I get it all the time. That I'm like, no, crazy. I'm like, that's 
first, that's like a ridiculous thing. Like, no, that's not what happens. And B, like that has nothing to do with what I actually do. But I would say that's the question that I think I get a lot of, Mm -hmm. especially if someone out in a bar you know, figures out what I'm doing. You know, when you're a little inebriated, that's definitely the first question I get. <laughs> oh, the guy's naked? No, yeah. they're not. No. And, and you know, it does point to the fact that, well, people can be fools, but also they really don't know what yeah. goes on. A question that I get often is, so so you're at all the games? Oh, yeah, I get that too. Yeah. You're like, well, yeah, I am. Well, yes. Well, even the games on the road. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're at the games at Prudential Center, but you actually do the games from the road? I said, yeah. yeah. Wherever the devils go, that's where I'm at. At any rate, uh, we forget about those things. It's the mystery. Schedule is my schedule. Yeah, it's the mystery of what we do. Uh, And sometimes, as we started, it's not that we take it for granted, but we forget at times how special it is, and that for so many of our fans, boy, they would they would take our job in a heartbeat. I know it. it, Yeah, it's such a special job that we. so on that note, you know, we are so fortunate to be able to be those people that interact with the fans and bring the message of the team to them. And, you know, without them, we wouldn't be here. And we're glad that we're here. and We're glad we have the fans because uh, without them, there is no broadcast. There is no sport. There is no content that is necessary to be created. So we've done the local scene. Hmm. Now we're going to take a more of a North American point of view. We're going to go to the west of Canada, not fully the West Coast, but we're going to get pretty close. Uh, we go to the city of Edmonton. Uh, a lot of people who now work for the Devils cut their teeth at one point working for the Edmonton Oilers and then brought all their good stuff here and expanded <laughs> on it. And it was there that uh, one of them, Chris Westcott, got to meet Louis DeBroskin. Anyone who's met Louis, anyone who's met Chris, realized that they're both engaging guys. But Louis DeBrusque never met a story he didn't like. <laughs> and so on that note, Amanda, thanks so much for your time with Kanji and with Dano. But it's time now to bring in our Canadian point of view as we welcome Louis DeBrusque and Chris Westcott, our friend and colleague here with the New Jersey Devils, to speak of the Devils. The New Jersey Devils and Prudential Center, in partnership with Investors Bank and RWJ Barnabas Health, have launched the Donate a Plate, a virtual fundraiser benefiting Newark Working Kitchens. The initiative's beneficiary enlists local restaurants to deliver nutritious meals to vulnerable populations across Newark. Fans are encouraged to donate meals with the top fundraisers receiving a premium seating experience at a future Devils home game. You can donate now at NewJerseyDevils.com slash donate a plate. And so we welcome from Edmonton and very pleased to do so, Louis DeBrusque, who is doing yeoman's work in this return to play format as Edmonton, one of the two sites, two bubble sites for the NHL, uh, along with Toronto. Louis, thank you so much for joining us on Speak of the Devils. Hey, Matt, Chris, my pleasure. You know, it, uh, it's been busy, but uh, it's been exciting. You know, you and I, we were all talking before we came on to start. And uh, listen, it's been a hectic schedule. It's been a lot of games, but you can tell the excitement's there. People are just so excited to see hockey back. And uh, I'm one of the fortunate ones that gets to work in it. And I'll tell you what, I'm happy. I, I, I've uh, really taken in this experience and it's been awesome to see uh, how they put this together. Chris, this is a reunion. You and Louie <laughs> yeah. go way back. Oh yeah, little inside story. So Lou Dog and I used to have a competition 
on the uh, Oilers <laughs> charter who could take home the most amount of snacks. And we would yeah, just yeah. we'd fly into the city at like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and then ding, ding, we're both texting each other, just laid out on the bed oh. of the hotel what we managed to get. <laughs> Louis beat me every single yeah. time, every single time. I'll tell you what, it, it, became, it became a challenge where you're trying to put more into your bag because you only have a small carry-on bag. So it's what can you stuff in here to keep you tied over for the next couple of days? And listen, there's so much food on that plane. It's so good. You're like, you know what? I'm going to take a sandwich this time for later on. And, you know, the flight attendants would make you up meals if you wanted to go. I mean, we call it the never hungry league for a reason. I mean, you're never hungry because you eat a lot, but that was it. You know what? I still laugh about that question. You know what? We, uh, we used to go at it and try and outdo each other. And then you sent me a picture a few years ago and I just started howling because you had a pretty good score from somewhere, but uh, those yeah. are the good old days. And I will say this too, Chris, I love seeing your food pictures because I'm a foodie oh, yeah. and I love eating. Obviously, you know, I'm 275. So to keep this, this build, I've got to eat quite a bit. <laughs> you know what we should do? And, and maybe I'm telling a little bit of a tale out of school here, but that's okay. He won't mind. I sit next to Chico Resch on our charter and he's got a little bit of what you guys are talking about in him, which is <laughs> open up that bag at the, at his feet. And here they come by either. He'll say, uh, well, what's the main meal? And they'll give him the three choices. Okay. But you know what? Can I get a sandwich too? Oh yeah, sure. Next thing you know, the sandwich is in the bag. He's eating the full meal, and then forget about it when like the peanuts or uh, or those gum or oh, he just uh, he just loves it. He just well, loves it. I love it, Maddie. When they're coming, we, well, we have these three options for you for dinner, and she goes like, yes. I'll have all of them. <laughs> I'll try all of them. You know, but I will say this. Over the years, times have changed. Times have changed. It used to be chocolate bars, boxes of Snickers, and Kit Kats, and Twix, or whatever the bars were of choice, <laughs> Oh Henry's. Nowadays, it's all healthy choices. So it's changed a lot over the last 10, 12 years. It's incredible to see how quickly it's changed. He, he is so disappointed when he asked, and he asked every time, and the answer is, no, we don't have chocolate. But they'll find like a trail mix or something. Yep, it's got yep. a couple, couple of M&Ms. chocolate. Oh, he'll just find a couple, but he's like looking, where's that chocolate bar? Doesn't exist anymore. He loves the Werther's. He loves those uh, oh, yeah. like butterscotch Werther's. My goodness gracious. He's he's like at the amusement park, you know, the big claw that comes down trying to get the fuzzy bear. Well, that hand <laughs> comes down like a claw to grab the Werther's. Yeah. And uh, oh, it's, it's amazing. So you three guys have to do a long distance contest. That's for sure. Yeah. So what is life like in Edmonton? Uh, we were talking, as you mentioned before, we began this recording. You're not really in the bubble, but you're in a bubble city, but you've got to do a yeah. lot of things to uh, live up to the protocol. So tell us what a day in Louis DeBrusque's life in this return to play format. Yeah, I'm not in the bubble, but I do have to go through a procedure every time I enter the building. And anybody in the media that is coming in that's not in the, in the bubble has to do the same thing. You come through a security check, obviously, which we all have to do. Then you'll get your temperature gauge checked. They want to check your temperature before coming to building. A questionnaire will go through to ask you if you've had any symptoms and where you've been and who you've been in contact with, all those types of things. You get a wristband that puts on, but every time you leave the building, you have to come back through that protocol. Um, and they leave, really leave it up to you. We wear masks everywhere we go. We, you have to wear a mask in and out of the building. And anytime you're walking around inside the building, everybody wears a mask. And I can honestly say that um, you feel guilty when you don't. The odd time that I've run to go get coffee and I forgot my mask, it's almost like you're looking around because somebody's going to give you heck for not wearing your mask. They've been very diligent in that regard. Uh, and, and I believe that's why they haven't had any positive tests. They've, they've really been buckling down on this. 
And for good reason. I mean, this is what it was all about. We had questions whether or not they were going to be able to pull this off. But because of those stringent rules, I think they've been able to. And you have to take it upon yourself as someone that's going in and outside the bubble. You just got to really monitor where you're going on a day-to-day basis. You have to be careful like everybody else should be on this planet. And, you know, I think to the, the, for the most part, people have been doing that. I, I've been really impressed with how people have been able to um, come in and do their work, but do it safely and, and have the respect for others and make sure you're wearing your mask and trying to stay distance from one another. But, you know, it's been outstanding. I got to tell you guys, it's been incredible to be in there. I really wish the fans could get in there. I truly do. I just wish we could go back to normal like everybody does. I think they've done a tremendous job, though, to do this the best that they possibly can to give you the best product. Um, And I think people are happy with it. I really do. I think people are happy with what they're seeing. They wanted something to watch. They needed something to watch. And the feedback that I've gotten from friends and people that I know has been great because they just, uh, of course, you'd like to be in the building. Of course, you'd like to be watching these games live because there's nothing like that playoff hockey that's live. But at the same time, the intensity on the ice has been there. The players have come to play. I've been so impressed with their effort in this so far with what they're having to deal with being inside that bubble every day and away from their families and friends. Incredible, just incredible um, urgency on their part to come out and play their best hockey that they can at this time. And the product on the ice has been great. What has been the biggest challenge for you in terms of the broadcast? Because it's so different. You don't really have any contact with the players Mm -hmm. uh you're at one level they're down at another and there's limited access to that lower level as i understand it and there's nobody in the building and all of that sort of stuff what are the challenges been you hit the nail on the head first and foremost matt you know how it is we like to go in and and have that rapport with the players have those conversations um darren pang used to call them nuggets all the time and you know we're we're always looking for nuggets we're always looking for that little thing that a player is going to tell you And I love that. I love kind of that one-on-one talking with players and getting just like some little detail about a stick or something in the game they're looking for, a shot they're looking for. I just, you do get more, no question, when you're able to talk to the players. I think on that same note, I think the players and the coaching staff have been excellent in their Zoom meetings and going forward and giving people as much as they can at this time that we're all using for our information. Um, so well done them. I know it can get monotonous and crazy and every single day you're going up to the podium, but they've all done it amazingly. And I want to thank them all for that. But you know, um, that was one big hurdle, but again, you go into prep more often, you go from what you know, from your history with players, from games you've done before. Um, you try and pick up things in their meetings, little details that they're talking about. There'll be some consistency in the things that they're saying. So that was one hurdle. The other thing too, and you'll understand this too, is just the, the emotion. You know, like when you're in the building as, as a broadcaster, we feed off the fans too, not just the players. Uh, we feed off the emotion in that building, the vibe in the building, what's happening in a game. And, you know, not having that there is a little different. And again, they've done a terrific job. And I know that there was a lot of doubt about pumping in crowd noise into the broadcast, but it's absolutely necessary, in, in my opinion. I think it just really adds a detail to the game that just has to be there because without that, it just doesn't feel right. And uh, again, I, th- I, I, I applaud them for doing that because that helps me out. The other day, it was kind of funny. I, I said into my headset, I said, you know, our sound guy, Gabe, I said, listen, can you pump a little more crowd noise into my ear? And then I went back to him and said, <laughs> can you pump a little more fake crowd noise into my ear because I just wanted to get myself more into the tune of that game. And uh, you know what he did? And it just, it just gives you that perception, that feeling that you're, you're right in a building with fans and it kind of brings it back to normal. 
And I feed off of that. I'm, I'm kind of one of those uh, analysts that I really feed off that emotion in the building. So I do miss that. Those are probably the two biggest things. The other thing too is, and I don't know if people are, all people are fully aware of this, but it's a world feed. So there's one feed that's going to everybody that's using that feeds for their respective broadcast telecasts. And, uh, you know, with that, you don't have the control that you normally would have in a game where you're talking to your producer and you're asking them to cut you certain clips and make certain packs for you. You have to kind of go, we call it get on the train. You know, you jump on that train and you ride that train. We will jump off it from time to time to do our own little things here and there. Then you're jumping back on that train that's always moving. And that's, that's a little bit different too. It's a little bit different detail, but again, and I know I keep saying this, I'm just so impressed with everybody behind the scenes that's allowed me to do my job. They're just done a terrific job to make sure that I'm getting what I need. So it's been good. It's been great. And Louie, right from the start when they were trying to pick hub cities, I instantly thought Edmonton. And one of the biggest reasons why was the setup they have there with Rogers Place is almost made for something like this. The event level is wider than most places. There's multiple points of entry. Like you said, you're able to come through different gates from the players. I mean, you could go an entire day without ever seeing someone that works on the opposite side of of the rink from you. Uh, what do you think about the setup just as a hub city and a hub arena? I agree, Chris, you know, listen, I live here in Edmonton. I'm a little biased in that regard. And I've done a lot of games at Rogers place since it's been built. But the thing for me is also with the pandemic going on, we had excellent numbers. And that was the first thing for me when they were talking about hub cities. Um, we've done a pretty good job here. I think it had a lot to do with our weather. Listen, when this thing really hurt, it was still minus 30 here. No joke. It was really cold. So people weren't out and about, as they normally would be anyway, it was a little easier to lock down. Let's just say that, than it would be in a warmer climate. Um, we were inside, we buckled down, we stayed inside, and our numbers were very good. And I think from that perspective moving forward, then you look at the facility and you say, this is a world-class facility. It's one of the newer buildings in, in the league. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, you know, for me, it's, um, it has everything you need. It has a practice ice sheet built right into the facility that the players can go and do morning skates on, which they've been doing. They set up practice rinks throughout the city where they can go practice. It just, for me, it just made so much sense from the logistic point of view, but also from the facility point of view, in my opinion, like you mentioned, it's one of the best in the, in the league. And so far, so great. You're right. I won't see people. There'll be people in the bubble that I, <laughs> I just never see them. Like Paul Griss, my producer, who usually produces the late games on Hockey Night in Canada. I've seen him a couple times because I'll come out where the Zamboni comes out and I'll see him down there and we'll, We'll kind of give a little wave. He'll send me a text that he's there. But, you know, they've really done a great job at separating that. If you're inside the bubble, you're inside the bubble. If you're not, you're really not. You are on the outside. Uh, another question I had for you is you're, you're breathing pretty well for a guy who is just hammering out games left and right. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's got to be a significant challenge. I mean, Maddie would know, like, when we do, like, prospect tournaments and it's game after yeah. game, it's challenging to keep track of players and stats and, and little intricacies, like you said, that you want to talk about on the broadcast. But for you, what's been the biggest challenge in terms of doing multiple games per day? And bang, bang sometimes. You know – the biggest challenge for me is just really trying to turn off the game before and focus on the next game. Um, a lot of times you'll have those thoughts in your mind and, and it's happened to me a couple of times. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I had a couple brain farts on the air where I tried to tell a story about something and I was like, I lost the team in my mind that the team had played in the last round. I had to really think back to try and go back because you can get twisted in your mind with different series. And we were doing three series in the first, in the qualifying round and going from series to series to series 
that was the most difficult thing was just trying to turn it off and go to the next one. And I know guys have done it for years. This was my first real um, time doing in the NHL. I've done it in uh, Canadian university. I went into Halifax and did a couple of years um, um, CIS, you know, hockey university cup. And it was the same situation. It was six teams that came in and they were battling each other and you were going from game to game. So I think that helped me prepare a little bit for it. And that's the biggest thing, Chris is being prepared for it. You have to really um, set your notes aside and you have to be prepared before the game, get that preparation and when you can. But the key is to like turn it off once the game's over. You really have to not delve into anything and just flip the page and then start a new fresh set of mentality. I mean, that's how I do it. It's been working for me. Like I said, I have had a few times where I uh, literally froze up and couldn't remember anything at that time, but uh, that's to be expected with the number of games we're doing. I think overall was with uh, Chris Cuthbert um, being uh, my play-by-play guy. I mean, he's he's pretty easy to work with. You know, he's just such a smooth guy and will keep it flowing, and he makes it a lot easier for me. Um, that's kind of how I've done it and how I've gotten through it, but that's been a challenge. I mean, but now that it's down to the nitty-gritty, you're getting down to less series and less games, and uh, it should be more manageable. You mentioned the pumped-in crowd noise, and I agree. Uh, although watching – I watched some of the English Premier League, and it wasn't – so bad if they didn't have the crowd. There were a couple of events where I watched. And, all right, you hear the noise on the pitch. But at any rate, I do agree the crowd noise makes it a lot better. Are the players hearing anything? I'm curious. People have yes. asked me that, and I don't know the answer. So what are they hearing? What's happening in the building? It's actually louder in the building. You know, Is it really? Yes. If you take the headsets off, which I do in the warm-up, and I just kind of every once in a while take them off just to get a feel. Because I wonder the same thing. You always wonder that, too. And being a former player, I'm kind of – I'm always trying to think of how these players are dealing with this. And again, I got to take my hat off to them. They've done a really great job. I, I know that it's been very difficult for the players and a lot of people in the bubble. Um, it just has been. Anytime you're isolated like that, it just it really changes your mindset. And you have to really buckle down and focus at the task at hand. And I think everybody involved has done a great job at that. So I, I just I can't um, give them enough praise for that because I, I imagine it's been very difficult for people. But the thing is that that environment in the building is loud. They pump up the music after the whistle. They pump up the crowd noise and they really get the, the big screens going and they really try and make a game like they truly do. And I do believe that's why the players have been able to just kind of get into that mindset. You've heard a lot of players talk about the fact that the hardest part is when they go out for warm up. And I can totally understand that. You go for warm up and the music's blaring. There's people on the glass. There's people with signs. That's what you that's really the most interaction you're going to have with the fans in a hockey game. As a player, when you jump on the ice and you're in the warm-up, you're looking around, you have time to look around and just take it all in. It's not there for the players. So they re- you see guys kind of get going more and more as the warm-up goes on. That's probably the most difficult part for them because once the puck drops in the game, you really are focused just on the game. You truly are just buckling down, trying. you're waiting for your next shift, you're watching the guy that you're taking on that shift, you're, you're listening to what the coach is yelling, you're listening to what your teammates are telling you. You're, you're continually in that mindset of game-like. But I do believe that that warm-up and coming out there, it's kind of like – it is missing that, but again, they've done the best they can, and I and I think the players have been able to step it up in the games. Louis, I, I really, I mean, obviously it takes a little bit of time to get going when you don't have that fan energy and that normal game energy, but, but I've been pretty impressed mm-hmm. overall in terms of how these players have, as you said, buckled down and gotten after it. Was that a surprise to you to see that? Or I mean, these guys are professional athletes. You would expect yeah. that of them, but it's hard. It's got to be hard. 
It's really hard. I, it did surprise me a little bit. I thought it would take him a little longer to get into it. But if you remember in the exhibition games, qualifying round and the round robin, the round robin probably being for me, the series that was the least intense. And I think that's why those round robin teams, some of them had some difficulty with some battle tested qualifying round teams early on in the series, because those qualifying teams came from a legit playoff series where they were just tested battle ready and they kind of faced a little bit of adversity and that physicality and they brought that into the first few games seeing that in both of the series I'm doing now and um, you know no question the St. Louis Blues have started to get better as the series goes on but Vancouver took advantage of them early and now have a 3-2 lead same thing with the Calgary Flames that came out and had a 2-1 lead 1-0 2-1 lead in that series obviously the Dallas Stars had battled back and got better as the series went on and finished it off last night but you know I think also, Questy, the thing, you you sit around for four months. I mean, you you sit around for four months and you're chomping at the bit to get back there. And I just think that intensity came from not doing anything for a long period of time. And there's no question that that period they had off was the longest for, I would say, almost all these players that had never been on the ice. That was the longest that they hadn't gone you know, training and skating the first two and a half, three months. How often do you ever hear of an NHL hockey player taking two months off the ice unless they're injured? Obviously, an injury could have them off the ice for six months to eight months um, or even longer, depending on what that injury is. But just to not do anything for two and a half months and then kind of get back into training, then have a two-week training camp, it was just a unique situation for every player that was involved. And I think that they were just so hungry to get back into a game I've never seen so many fights in a short period of time. And I think that really set the tone in my mind saying, okay, these guys are coming to play. They're not messing around. They understand this is for the Stanley cup. This is what you, and you know what? You keep going back to that. You hear the players talk about and coaches talk about it. This is what you dream about as a kid. This is the whole reason you play the game is to be able to get to this level and have an opportunity to win the Stanley cup. And that is at the root of every player's mentality when they come into this. It's, it's going to be the toughest one to win, no question, because the most adversity you're ever going to face, it's a unique situation for everybody that nobody's been in before. And that's, for me, what makes it so appealing because it's going to be the team that can buckle down and get this done in these adverse times that's going to win it. Yeah, the, there's no asterisk. I mean, there will no. be stories because it's such an unusual circumstance. But if you win it, you've gone through an awful lot to do so. And there should be no asterisk at all. So this is called Speak of the Devils. And so people are saying, well, it's nice. Louis had a real good professional career in the NHL and did his thing, but not with the Devils. What's the connection here? But there are Devils, Louis DeBrusque stories that we want to get to uh, a little bit. Uh, it was a different era when when you were playing. You know, it was that, you know, hold them up, drop the gloves. The game is different. Do you miss it at all? I do. You know, there's no question. And I but at the same time, I I, I so much respect skill and I appreciate how good the players have got. You know, I look at these young players today and I just, I smile every time I see them on the ice. Cause I'm like, wow. You know, and I have a kid that plays too, and I've seen him progress up through the ranks and, you know, I'm just so amazed at what these players can do nowadays. You know, it, the players of back in my era were fantastic. Obviously my first game was against Wayne Gretzky, the greatest player that's ever played. Um, and I think that all the great players from every era would adapt and be able to play in every era. I truly do. I've always believed that, that you, 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 acclimate to the era that you're in and the game that is put in front of you. You learn how to expose that game and benefit the most out of what you can use to try and be the best you can be. And all the great players in every era, I do believe would step up and find a way in every era. 
But the speed of the game today, the skill set of the players today, because they train year-round now specifically for hockey, you can see that. It's caught up. And uh, the game's gotten really fast. It's gotten tremendously fast. But there is something to be said for living back in, in that era of the late 80s, 90s, two th- and, and playing that type of a style. It's completely changed. And you can call us dinosaurs. You can call us old school. But there was something to that that was tangible. And I just... You know, I always appreciated the battle level and what you had to go through to to create offense back then, too. Louis, I think that Devils fans would recognize you a lot more had you not been involved in the Messier trade that took you away from the Rangers. You could have had a long career playing against the Devils, but I do have one Devils-specific story. I want your side of things. You once fought Mr. Devil himself, Ken Danico, twice in the same period. (laughs) Do you remember that? March 18th, 1993. (laughs) What happened? I remember clear as day, and, you know, I always had a ton of respect for Ken Danico because he was just such a grizzled vet. He was tough as nails, he, you know, and he did a little bit of everything for that team. Um, Tommy Albaline, his defense partner, is the reason why I fought him. Uh, he, he caught me with a high stick and broke my, my front tooth in half. He, he caught me, and he ended up getting – I think he got a penalty on the player. Maybe he didn't. I, I don't even remember. But I turned around and gave him a pretty vicious cross-check after because I was mad about the high stick. Um, and he broke my front tooth right in half. So I was like, are you kidding me? How do I not play? But Ken was doing what he always did. He came over and was protecting his teammate. That's why we fought. He came over and engaged in me and we had a fight and, um, you know, strong as an ox he was, we, we, we scrolled and went down. I wasn't happy with the first one. So I went back out the next time and challenged him again. <laughs> they were beating us. They were beating us pretty good too. So I was just trying. And I remember, it's funny because the one thing I remember about it is after the second fight, he kind of hogtied me and threw me down like a rag doll. And I was on the ice. And I was looking. He's like, what are you doing? I said, ah, sorry, man. I'm just trying to get something going. I'm just frustrated. He goes, I understand. Like it was, it was kind of like a civilized <laughs> conversation on the ice. right? But uh, have the utmost respect for him. You know, we played against the Devils. They were a very solid, hard, hard fighting team, and they always had toughness in their lineup. Another funny story about the Devil Zone. This is one that I always tell people, and it would have been so great if I had a little bit better hands and would have scored the goal. But back in the day when we were using wooden sticks, I ran out of sticks on the road trip, and we were in New Jersey. And I'm like, geez, you know, I got no sticks. So the trainer comes down and says, well, listen, they've allowed you to walk into the Devil's stick room and pick out a couple sticks for the game they're, they're they've done a favor for us we understand they don't have sticks and they're just going to like so the, the new jersey devils actually let me go down and pick out a couple sticks and that's my dog tampa barking over there i told you he likes to make an appearance in every podcast but anyway um he uh i went in there and the stick that i picked was the coach's stick jock lamare and uh, I, yeah, and I was, uh, I, I went out there and I had a great A chance in front of the net and I almost scored. And as I'm skating by the bench, he's looking at me, right? And I'm like, that would have been so great if I would have scored, with but I never did. But yeah, you know, just the things that happen on the road when, when you get shortened sticks. Oh, that's a great story. I can see Jacques looking too, like the man has my stick. What is he doing with my stick? <laughs> yeah. yeah, That know. is awesome. Hey, Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was a really good chance too. Like it should have gone in. If I had yeah. any hands at all, I would have put the puck in the net, but uh, unfortunately I didn't, but it would have been a great end to the story. But you know, when I had some battles in there, I remember an exhibition playing for the Rangers. We go into New Jersey and it was, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Chris, it would have been, that would have been more uh, frequent if I would have been a Ranger for those years. And because of the nature of my role being a tough guy, 
there was a lot of guys to choose from to fight on the New Jersey Devils for years. I mean, they always had real toughness in their lineup. They always had big players, and they always played a hard-nosed style. What, why they won Stanley Cups? You know, they were they were one of the best teams in the league for a reason. Was that? You know, you, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say. You know, you and Randy McKay danced a couple times too. Yeah, he was. You know, Randy was. Uh, you know, he got the better of me too, and a couple of them pretty good. He was. He was one of those guys that wasn't the biggest guy. But a great player and just a really tough guy. Some of those guys, you know, that kind of step out of their weight class on a regular basis that are just tough as nails, I would put Randy McKay right in that mix. He was really tough. Great player, too. You know, that was the other thing, too. He obviously was a big part of their success, and he was, he was a real important player for them, but he could scrap. He was tough. Yeah, he was. And, and that's really and, – and I don't mean to be the get-off-my-lawn kind of guy because I love the game as it's played today, but I do miss that toughness. And that, that, that element is missing because, you know, Randy could do it both. He could score 20 goals in a season, but he'd also drop the gloves, you know, 15 times in a season yep. as well. And that – every team needs still needs a little somebody that keeps you honest. Uh, but back in the day – a lot of teams had a lot of guys who would keep you honest. And uh, I do appreciate the skill. Don't get me wrong. Do you imagine that combination in today's game? Oh, 20 goal score, 10, 15 fights as tough as him. I mean, it is, it is, a, it's a dying breed, right? It's just not, yeah. you know, you just don't see it in the game as much. There are players that play that way. No question. They're coveted. You know, a Tom Wilson's in the world. Listen, they're coveted because of how they play the game. And if you can play to that caliber and you can, put pucks in the net, but you're also nasty and physical and you can drop the gloves and you can set the tone physically as well. I just think as always, those are some of the most coveted players in the game. I think every team's looking for those types of players. And I think that those players will come back in vogue a little bit. It may, it's not going to be what it once was. I do understand the, the hits to the head and I understand the concern absolutely that's necessary for the impact that those hits to the head have, but you don't always have to fight, but you got to be able to stare a guy down a little bit. And he has to know that you will fight if you push him a little bit. And I I just think ultimately there'll be more, but I don't know if hockey at the youth level, you know, in the junior levels is the way it was that. So those guys will get developed. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot of, I'm trained early. They recognize me early and I was put on this path and it has nothing to do with fighting. Some of those guys and you could talk about, I I don't know about your background. And I'm not saying they had bad backgrounds. They just had, you know, they were fighting for a scrap of food on their family table. So they kind of brought up, they were brought up in a very competitive environment. It just kind of carried them through. I agree. And I think, listen, those necessary changes that need to be made to the game at the minor league level, um, hits to the heads are, are, are called aggressively now. And that's just something we're trying to set that template and that um, mindset at an early age. So it carries forward and you're not even thinking about doing it as an older hockey player. Cause I know when I was younger, that's the phrase we used to use. We used to say, hit him in the head, take his head off. That was commonly used all the time. And I'm not going to lie when we used to go hit someone, my main target was the head of the player. We were trying to put that person out of the game if you hit them. And that was just the mentality. I know it sounds so barbaric and crazy now, but that truly was how we played. And I'm happy now that that's not how it is because I look back and go, what were we thinking at that time? Like, wow. (laughs) And then I go back even further and I I got into that, uh, you know, vicious, I don't know what you want to call it, but the black hole of YouTube one night. And I was going back into some, some older hockey games. And I saw, you know, the, the, the Rocket Richard movie was on Rocket last night. And I was watching some of that. And 
some of the stick infractions back in that era, even as a tough guy, I'm like, no way, you know, to see Ferguson throwing bombs at people. I'm like, these guys had no helmets on. They had barely any equipment on and they were some of the toughest men you're ever going to see in the game. I just still look back at those er that era and just go, wow. I mean, those, those guys, the guys that carved out that physicality for years to come and what we did. And then we became trained fighters. You know, that was kind of what happened was it became such a niche and such a, a role that, you know, I remember hitting the heavy bag with Daryl Duke here in Edmonton and, and, you know, I would work out on the heavy bag and train and now players, you know, the, the training has changed now too. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I think the skill level's gotten up so high. You have to be able to play the game, which I think is great. You have to be able to produce that way. But I do still think that the players that are willing to go over that line and have an edge that way <clears throat> can really carve out a, a great career for themselves because everybody will want them. And you're starting to see that. You're right, Matt. I, I think you're starting to see that trickle back into the game now because they're catching up. You know, it was like the skill level of the game left guys like myself in the dust for a while. But now the tough players are skilled players that understand that their way of getting in the NHL, just like I did, is the physical aspect of the game. Every coach loves it. Every coach wants a big, fast guy that's going to run around and bang bodies and is not afraid to drop the gloves. Look no further than the St. Louis Blues who won the Stanley Cup last year. They grounded, they pounded, and they beat up their opponents. And at the end of every series, the, the opposing team was more banged up when they went into that series, and they did it for four rounds and won the Cup. People are taking note of that, and that's the type of players they want to have. I think that's the best thing about sports is they constantly – it's a chess match. There's yep. constantly – waves going one way waves going another you see it in the nfl where you start getting beefier up front so you can't run the ball so you spread them out and then you start running from the spread too it's the same thing sports always evolves in some way uh i would be remiss louis i always enjoy talking about players and prospects with you you're a student of the game you watch every team in the league the new jersey devils are obviously in a transition stage where they have a bunch of young talent and they're taking trying to take that next step i'd love to get your thoughts on the current team, I know we've talked about the past, but the current team of Devils, and what do you think about their future? Yeah, and you know what? Those transitions and rebuilds are really tough. They truly are, because what you're doing is you're putting a lot of pressure on young players. So you're putting a lot of pressure on young players that are stepping in, and let's face it, um, you know, you look at Jack Hughes. He's a great talent. He's going to be an amazing player. He's going to be unbelievable. It's going to take him some time to adjust to the league, though. And when you're thrown right into the fire, some players are able to handle that and for whatever reason take off in that pressure and are able to just go about their business and takes others certain amount of time. Um, look at the Edmonton Oilers. I've been in dealing with this team for a long time and they've got some of the best players in the game, but it's still a work in progress to try and find that team game. It's just not all on one player's shoulders. But I do think in any rebuild, what you have to have is you have to have the structure. You have to have the right mindset. And Here's the thing. I, I remember watching games early in the season with the Devils, and I was impressed with their speed. I was impressed with their, impressed with their tenacity. Early on, Edmonton was in there. I did a game from between the benches in the Prudential Center. It was awesome. It was amazing to be down at ice level in that building. And it was a battle. It was a fast, hard-fought game. And, you know, things can go south really quickly, and a lot of times that can be just – it can just take on a life of its own. And I think that's what happened in New Jersey, to be honest with you. I've been on teams like that. I've been on teams in my career where we just could never seem to dig ourselves out of that hole from an early start. And it just manifests into something that it's really not. It's just a, a few small, subtle changes to kind of get your mindset right and have some things go your way. 
Um, but I do believe the future is bright for them. And, and listen, that young talent will eventually start to dominate and start to really be forces, but it does take time. And I think people just have to be patient. I know nobody likes hearing that. And that's the worst word you can use in a rebuild is patience. Trust me, I get it. But unfortunately, that's just reality. No team comes in and just is great out of the gates. I mean, pick any team you want. Even Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, they won three Stanley Cups, but it took them time to learn how to win. And there's a couple of the best players that have ever played the game. Uh, I look at Sidney Crosby. It took him time to figure out how to win at this level. And eventually he's won three Stanley Cups himself. Like that's, you know, for me, um, that's what you have to do to be winners. You have to adjust and find the way to win and play as a team. You have to have the horses, no question about that. But eventually you have to have all the pieces to be successful. And in in a sport where 31 teams and soon to be 32 claim that it's the Stanley Cup or bust, I think that's just so unfair, too, because it it sets the bar way too high. The Devils have certainly not said that. I mean, Tommy Fitzgerald, the GM and Ray Shearer before him we're pretty honest about where the devils are at and what they need to do, but there's such a mentality. Like if you don't make the playoffs, what's wrong. And this guy's terrible and you got to make changes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up a little bit to your point. Took a while for Chicago, took a while for Los Angeles. It's not easy. And even now we're seeing with other teams like Pittsburgh, Hey, they've had great success, Chicago, great success, but now they're a little bit on the other side of that and what's going to happen. So it's not easy to get there and it's not easy to stay there. It isn't. And you know, it's uh you're right. Every team thinks the same way. And, you know, every single year in today's era, 30 teams go home that aren't happy with their season. Simple as that. Even the Boston Bruins, my son's team, the lost in the Stanley cup final, they weren't happy. It was devastating. You know, so that was, that was a failure for that season, even though they had a tremendous year and they went to the Stanley cup final, you, you still didn't do what you're trying to do. Everybody wants to win the Stanley cups. That's the ultimate goal. But it has to happen in stages, no question about it. St. Louis Blues, perfect example. That was a team that two years ago, three years ago, I'm look, I'm looking at that team, which essentially is the same team with a couple of differences. I think they have 20 players returning as the Stanley Cup champions on this year's team. 17 have had time in games. That's a remarkable turnaround to come back with that many returning players. But I, you know what? It's a whole different animal again this year. You know, and and they're down in the series. They're facing elimination tonight. This is a tough game to win. This is a tough game to win consistently. But it took them a few years to get to this point where they won a Stanley Cup and were the best team in the West in the regular season. It takes time to develop that mentality in that game. It really does. And sometimes um, it takes a lot longer than people want. That's just the reality of it. But there's no question when you continually are injecting high talent into your lineup, you're going to get better. You're going to start to see those results pay off. Lou, you've been great giving us so much time at a busy period in your life, but last one from me, and then we'll let you go. Are you looking forward to a DeBrusque reunion? Because the (laughs) conference fine, everybody's going to move to Edmonton at some point and your son, Jake could be moving along with those Boston Bruins again. How cool would that be? I think it'd be amazing. I would love, obviously I would love to see them come West because that means they've made it to the conference final again, which would be outstanding. Um, there's a lot of work to do. No question about that. I, I don't, I know that that conference is really tough. It's tight. There's some great teams over there as there is in the West. Um, but of course I would love to see that. I would love to be able to see him in the building and watch a couple of his games live for sure. That would be outstanding, but I'll cross my fingers and hopefully that happens. Uh, They're going to have a tough opponent in round number two. It's going to be a battle as every series will. 
One of my favorite moments, Louis, is watching you come to tears watching your son score his first goal. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It was special. I, 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 I still go back and watch the video sometimes because it's just such a great moment for our family and for Jake. And uh, you don't forget that. That's kind of you know being in the hockey world my whole life and now having my son follow in those footsteps. And uh, I'm super proud of him and what he's done. And uh, want nothing but the best for him, like anybody wants for their kids. So that was a special moment, no question. Well, Louie, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts from Edmonton. Uh, it's an exciting time for all hockey fans. The NHL, as you said, has done a terrific job. The players, management, coaches, staff, they've all done their part to make sure this happens. Let's hope it continues. And let's hope we get back on the ice with a regular season soon thereafter. Absolutely. I, I agree. I, I, I want to see it go forward and continue to be successful. And hopefully we do get back on the ice for next year and we get to see each other in person again and have some food on the road. And I'll have my bag stuffed <laughs> with some stuff, for, some goodies for you, Chris. But thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Louis. Well, that was fantastic. Louis is just so outgoing, so enthusiastic, and the stories were terrific. I've got one question for you, though. Okay. Chris Westcott became Kweski. <laughs> how and when? Sure. Yeah, I can, I can do that one. Uh, actually. So it's uh, Jack Michaels, the radio play-by-play uh, announcer of the Edmonton Oilers. He likes to call people based on what their uh, emails were. So if you had, it's usually the first letter of your first name and then your last name, but Questcott or, you know, whatever it would be is too long and it's not very, doesn't really roll off the tongue. So, uh, you know, as you know, you know, hockey people love nicknames. And so we just shortened it and he started calling me Kweski and it has stuck ever since. And I'm okay with it. It's not a bad nickname. I've been called nope. worse, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> As have I. No, it's cool. I just was wondering what the story behind it was and, and who laid it on you. And uh, Jack's a terrific guy. So who won the battle of the snacks on a oh regular my basis? God. You know, I think he won every single time. And I, I thought he was cheating. I actually accused him of that before. <laughs> but I mean, Maddie, I'm telling you, the pictures he'd send, I would send like, all right, four Gatorades, five snack bars, a couple trail mix, you know, a couple protein bars. And I would be feeling pretty good about myself, three water bottles. And then he would send back this, it would take up the entire bed. He'd have 15 <laughs> Gatorades and 17 water bottles. And he had a fistful of nuts and a whole bushel of bananas. And I'd just be like, wow, I, I don't know what he's doing. I think he told me later on, I can't really remember. So I don't, I don't want to say the false story, but I think he had an extra duffel bag on the plane. Uh, I just had my, my backpack with my laptop in it. I would hollow it out so that I had more space, but you know, I can never, I can never beat them. And, and a big reason why you get those is as you would know, Maddie, like out West, those trips are longer than what like the devils would be used to being out East. Everything's a little bit closer. So there'd be times we were on the road for 13 days. We might spend four to five days in the same city, especially when we came to the New York area and played New Jersey as well. So that's why we started taking extra snacks off the plane. Also, we're both big guys. We like to eat. 
<laughs> and the food on the plane is pretty darn good. And, uh, and it's free, which is the best part of all. That's oh, a good absolutely. story. That's a veteran move though. The extra duffel bag. So, you know, <laughs> kudos to uh, Louie for coming up with that. Well, that'll wrap things up. Chris, terrific uh, to spend some time with you and Louie. Uh, those are some wonderful stories. I love the Danico one particularly and the <laughs> yeah, fights. And yeah, he's been doing a great job on the broadcast from the Western Conference. And we also want to thank, of course, Steve Cangelosi and Ken Danico for joining us, our, our compatriots on the MSG family side for joining us earlier. And of course, Amanda Stein, also a part of Speak of the Devils. For our entire team, Kweski, Chris Westcott, and Amanda Stein. I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you for your company. We'll see you next time. Be safe, everyone. Be well. Bye-bye.